Today we're going to get into um, our message. If you have not been here over uh, the last few weeks, or maybe this is your first time today, I want to get you up to speed just real quick with where we're at. We are in week six of our series called Words Matter. And what we said from the beginning is that this series is all about helping us better understand spiritual language, which is to say that a lot of the different concepts and a lot of different words that we read about in Scripture or even that we sing about or talk about amongst one another, we often really don't understand what these things truly mean. A lot of times what we're doing is we're applying some sort of assumed definition of what we always thought this meant, or maybe something we were taught as as a child that maybe didn't correctly line up with Scripture. And what can happen oftentimes is that can lead us down some very damaging pathways. And in fact, it can uh, really damage the way that we understand God, the way that we understand who we are in relation to that, and ultimately what he's up to in and through his creation. And so in many ways, what this series is about is kind of breaking down some of those walls, getting through some of those barriers into true wisdom and understanding. And so as I mentioned, we're in week six, so we have already gone through five different concepts. And so if you have missed any of those, or maybe you haven't heard any of them yet, you can go onto our website. You can go check out our YouTube channel, get caught up to speed. I would Certainly think that would be helpful for you in your understanding, but that brings us to today, and we're really just going to jump right into our concept today. No time to spare here. I will say this, and I often encourage this, but um, I I would encourage you to take notes today because we're going to be kind of, uh, I feel like, jumping around a a little bit, and we're going to be getting into quite a bit of scripture, and so I think it'll be helpful for you to just put some things down. If nothing else, go back to it afterwards and maybe fill in some puzzle pieces along the way, so I think that will be helpful. But the sixth word of our Words Matter series is the concept of justice, the concept of justice. And I want to say a few things before we really begin to unpack what this actually means. And the first thing is this. Um, the, the concept of justice is a pretty huge concept to dig into, um, both from an ancient understanding of the word as well as a modern-day understanding of the word. So there are a lot of different complexities that are going on here, but for the purposes of today's message, I'm going to try to keep things pretty high level, all right? I, I just want us to maybe get a better scope of what this is about. So we won't be getting into all the different details or all of the different contexts, but I just want to kind of help us wrap our arms around what this truly means and how we might be able to walk in it. Now, that being said, I listened to um, a really awesome podcast series this last week on this topic, and so I have provided that to our life group director, so he's going to disperse that to all of our life groups this week, and so if you're in a life group, I would encourage you, check that out, listen to it. I I think you will find it to be really, really helpful. They do get into a lot of the different details, a lot of the different contexts where this is applicable, but today we have a time allotment, so I'm just going to keep things pretty high level, okay? The other thing is this. I want us to try, just for the next 30 minutes or so, I want us to try 
to just kind of forget everything that we thought we knew about this particular concept, okay? Just kind of take our current understanding, kind of set it to the side for a moment. We will actually talk a little bit about how we typically understand this today, so we'll get into that. But for now, I just want to kind of try to start from scratch, just see what we might be able to learn, how we might be able to, to grow in this. And this is, in fact, one of the ways where we often get ourselves in trouble, because we are very good at taking our modern construct and trying to like squeeze scripture into it, right? We, we try to like force it into the way that we understand things instead of taking the biblical construct and just applying that to our lives and our understanding. So I would very much like to do the latter. I would like to see what scripture has to say, see what this means at the foundation and move on from there, okay? So with all that being said, when we talk about the word justice, we also have to pull in another very important biblical concept, which is righteousness, okay? So in many ways, today's going to be kind of a two for one because these words very closely relate to one another. In fact, many times in scripture, these will be used synonymously. In fact, um, if you go to certain scriptures in the way that they're translated into our English language, sometimes you will see uh, the, the same Greek or Hebrew word, but different translators will translate it differently, some to, to justice, others to righteousness. So these are kind of interchangeable in certain contexts. The other thing is, is that they are often kind of paired together, especially in the Old Testament. So maybe you've noticed as you read through the book of Psalms or Isaiah or the Proverbs, you will often see righteousness and justice or justice and righteousness. You'll see these two things together. And so today is kind of a concept cluster where we have to kind of fit these things together to see what's really going on. The other thing about these concepts is that they are used a lot in scripture, a lot, all right? We see the concept of justice over 500 times throughout scripture. The concept of righteousness over 300 times. So between the two of these, we almost get to a thousand different references between justice and righteousness, which is to say that obviously something significant is going on here that we need to pay attention to. So we're going to actually flash up the, the primary Hebrew and Greek words that are translated now into English as justice and righteousness. And we're not really going to dig into them any further, but I want you to just kind of see them, maybe write them down, do some studies of your own. I will say this, the first one there under Hebrew is pronounced mishpat. That is a very foundational concept that we're going to be walking through today. I will even mention it a, a bit later. But in general, I just kind of want you to take these with you and, and see what you might be able to learn in and through that. So let's kind of set a baseline of what we're talking about today. Okay, set kind of a, a foundation. And let's begin with the idea of righteousness. All right, so when we talk about righteousness, what we are talking about is, is the standard of rightness. That's what righteousness ultimately means. So in scripture, it represents uprightness. Um, it represents straightness, as in not crooked, right? So it's the standard of right, while justice, on the other hand, is what you do to adhere to or uphold that standard, okay? So that's the way that these things tend to work together. Now, justice typically works itself out in two major ways. We see two primary breakouts of this word, both in the ancient understanding and application as well as the modern day application. We see a lot of consistency between the two. And the first major breakout of justice in terms of how 
how it comes to fruition is the idea of retribution. All right, retribution. You may have heard the phrase before, retributive justice. That's what this is about. And this is simply a declaration of wrongdoing followed by some sort of appropriate punishment, right? That, that's what this means. So I've messed up, I've done something crooked, and so these are the consequences for my actions. This is what must happen sometimes to uphold the standard of rightness, okay? So here's the offense, and therefore here is the penance for that offense. Now, there are two primary ideas that kind of undergird this idea of retribution, and they're kind of obvious, but they do help us kind of frame it up in a nice way. And the first one is the idea of accountability, all right? So whenever you think about retributive justice, this is one of the foundations of it, that, that if you do something wrong, you're accountable for your actions, right? It's the idea of payback or, or even the idea of vengeance, right? If you do something messed up, then you're accountable for what comes back your way, which leads to the second idea, which is fairness, all right? Again, when we talk about retribution, this is one of the foundations. Now, fairness gets a little bit complicated depending on what path you're going down, but, but simply put from a general standpoint, what is fair is that whatever you put out is what you receive in return, right? So whatever you do, whatever you put out in the world is what you will get back in return. So if you mess up or if you hurt somebody, there's recompense, right? There's, there's a cost that you must pay for your actions. There are a lot of different sayings that we have that very much point to these things. For instance, I'm gonna even the score, right? That, that's very much a retributive justice statement. I'm gonna make things right because I'm going to hold this person accountable. Even the phrase eye for an eye, which is actually a biblical statement, is very much a, a, an idea of retribution. I'm going to pay this person back for what they have done. So this is the first major way that justice works itself out. The second concept which is much different, and in many ways is the complete opposite of the first, is the concept of restoration or restorative justice, all right? So follow with me closely because we're gonna be jumping around a little bit. But this works itself out in two primary ways. That is reactively and proactively. Now, the same thing happens with retribution, but we see it much more obviously with restoration. So from a reactive standpoint, restoration is a confession of harm followed by redemption and restoration. So we still have this idea of accountability underneath, but, but instead of for the sake of chastisement, it's for the sake of growth and, and for the sake of maturity, okay? That is restorative justice in the reactive sense. In the proactive sense, listen, restorative justice is a system of structures that lead to general flourishing, all right, that's what it is about. So if you think about the laws of any land, do they create a structure? Do they create an environment for restoration and general flourishing? That is what true justice must look like. Now, restoration also has two primary ideas that kind of undergird it, kind of frame it up the way that we need to see it. And the first one is equality. Okay, so when we talk about restorative justice, this is one of the foundations, equality. Now, in our day and age, that's kind of a loaded word, but biblically, when we talk about this, we must point to what we call the Imago Dei. Now, now we did a whole series on this about six or seven months ago. What this simply means is that we are all made in the image of God. 
right? This is a fundamental truth of who we are as human beings, which means that we have unique transcendent dignity. We are inherently valuable, which means we should all see each other, treat each other, and set up systems with equality in mind. That is what is good. That is what is straight. That's the way that it should be, okay? So equality is the first idea. The second idea of restorative justice is mercy. Mercy. Now, this is one of those words we throw out a lot in this context. We, we sing about this word a lot. But at its core, mercy is simply kindness and compassion, in particular towards those who find themselves to be in need, right? It's the sense that I'm going to go outside of myself to help somebody else. So, so mercy is very much rooted in empathy, in forgiveness, in selflessness. This is what mercy ultimately looks like. In fact, some translators, instead of mercy, will say loving kindness. Okay, so maybe if that helps you better understand what that ultimately represents. So equality and mercy, these are the foundations of restorative justice. Okay, now let's take a step back for just a moment kind of let that soak in for a second, kind of comprehend what those two things are about and, and begin to think about maybe how we see justice today, okay? Think about how, how we treat this word, how we understand this to work, how, how our perspective is shaped through this. And as you do that, what you will very quickly realize is that our viewpoint of justice is very much seen through the lens of retribution, it's very much how we just naturally think of it, kind of even the feelings that we get when we hear the word justice is very much centered on that for a lot of different reasons. Um, first off, this is how our justice system works. It's a retributive justice system. So if you break the laws of the land, there are consequences for those actions, right? There's a punishment that is gonna match the degree of the crime, that's retribution. Um, we see this culturally in so many of the movies we watch and so many of the, the shows that we enjoy, just full of vengeance and, and payback, right? It's the idea of country justice, right? I'm gonna take matters into my own hand and I'm going to make this thing right. That is retribution. We even see this, if, if we're being honest, in our kind of Western Christian perspective, all right? Oftentimes when we hear or we read the word justice, we immediately think of it as this really heavy, this really weighty thing. Like we can almost hear the gavel drop, right? It's so very serious to us. And I actually experienced this personally um, recently in, in some things that were happening to me. There was a particular scripture that I felt like God was speaking over my life. And so over the past few months, every day, I'll quote that scripture. And the word just is within that scripture, well, the first few weeks as I was doing this, I noticed that mentally I was kind of like skipping right over that word just because when I would think about it, it felt a little too heavy to me, right? It almost felt like condemning to me. And so I was trying to like avoid even thinking about it. And I think that's very representative of how we naturally think about justice. We think of it through this lens. Now, do we see aspects of restoration in our culture today? Of course we do. There are absolutely people who are giving their lives to help restore people through our justice system. Amazing people doing amazing things. That is absolutely happening. Even the idea of social justice is very much rooted in fighting for equality, right? So we see these things in play. However, nine times out of 10, if we're being honest, when we hear justice, we very much think punishment, consequences, retribution, accountability. That's where our minds tend to go. 
Now, the problem with that, at least as Christians, is biblically, that ratio is completely flipped upside down, okay? Now, do we see a sense of retribution in scripture? Absolutely, we do. And you can probably kind of conjure up some of those scriptures in your head because that fits our construct. That fits how we think about this. However, listen, nine times out of 10, when you read about justice and righteousness in scripture, it's talking about it in some sort of restorative way. Nine times out of 10, that is what is being communicated. Okay, now I will inundate you with scripture in just a moment so that you see this very clearly, but I wanna break this down a little bit more so we can maybe understand it better before we even see those scriptures. And so let me hit it from this angle. When we talk about justice and righteousness through the biblical lens, we have to understand that these are very relational terms, all right? Now I'm sounding like a broken record because I think I've said that almost every single time throughout this series, which by the way, should tell us something about the biblical narrative and what it's about. But justice and righteousness, listen to me, are not transactional words. They're, They're not something to be possessed. They're about people. They're about relationship. It's not about the what, it's about the who. And that should very much frame how we understand justice to work, okay? So in fact, why don't we reset the baseline that we set earlier, right? We said that righteousness is the standard. Biblically, righteousness is the standard of right relationship. That's what righteousness is. Um, Maybe you, you could say it this way. It's about relating to each other rightly. That's what righteousness is. Now, most of the time, when we hear the word righteousness, we think of it in a very personal type of way, right? In fact, typically what we think is that means personal morality, right? Uh, That's how we understand it. That's how we kind of translate it in our heads. But righteousness is actually very interpersonal, which is to say it's about how we relate to others, um, how, how we treat others, how we advocate for others. In our language, it's the idea of doing right by someone. That's what righteousness is. So so again, it's very relational at its core. Now, just as a side note, just for purposes of understanding, the word wickedness works the exact same way, all right? Wickedness is not just some random idea of immorality or wrongdoing. It's specifically about hurting or oppressing somebody else, doing wrong by them. That's what wickedness ultimately represents. In fact, a wise scholar said this, The wicked are those who are willing to disadvantage the community to advantage themselves. The righteous are those who are willing to disadvantage themselves to the advantage of their communities. That is something you should probably take with you and read over the next few days and see if that doesn't help change your perspective, okay? So righteousness is the standard of doing right by others. Justice, again, is the work that we do to uphold that standard. So individually, Collectively, structurally, it's the actions we take to do right by others, which means justice and righteousness are foundationally about loving and caring for other people. That's, that's where it begins. Now, if you're a Bible person, that probably shouldn't surprise you, right? However, that's not how we often, if ever, think of justice and righteousness, right? We don't think love. We don't think compassion. We don't think kindness. Those aren't the words that come to our heads. And this actually brings us back to that breakout of restorative justice. Remember the two words I called out, equality and mercy, This is in many ways the foundation of what we're talking about. In other words, we will treat all people with dignity, with respect, with value, knowing they are made in the image of God. 
and we will go outside of ourselves to help those who are in need. So we will stand for those who can't stand. We will speak for those who can't speak. We will make other people's problems our own problems, which means, and this is really the pinnacle of biblical justice. So pay attention here. What this means is if somebody is oppressed, we should right that wrong. If somebody is disadvantaged, we should right that wrong. If somebody is marginalized, we should right that wrong. That's what it means. And this is very much how the ancient Eastern people understood true justice to work. That's exactly what it was. Caring for the needy and the marginalized, that's what justice was to them. Things like advocacy and and healing and charity and protection and generosity, all of those were expressions of justice. In fact, that word mishpat, which I mentioned earlier, simply the Hebrew word for justice, was specifically all about the poor, the oppressed, the widowed, and the orphaned not having to worry about being taken advantage of in their society. They can trust that their needs will be met. In fact, it almost painted this picture of people who had kind of like fallen through the the cracks in their society and, and in their culture and because of the structures. And Mishpat was about pulling them out and restoring them back into equality and rightness. That is the heart of biblical justice right there. That's it. Now, this is where I get to prove it to you by what scripture says, okay? So we're gonna go through quite a bit of scripture. And so here's what I would like you to do. Um, Not only would I like you to think about what justice represents here, and you'll see it very clearly, I would also like for you to pay attention to the characteristics that are attached to it. And I think you might learn some things through that, okay? So we're gonna take our time through this. We're gonna go through quite a bit, but I want us to really soak this in. Let's start with Isaiah chapter one, verse 17. It says, learn to do good, seek justice. What is justice? Help the oppressed Defend the cause of orphans and fight for the rights of widows. Proverbs 31, starting in verse 8. Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. Ensure justice for those being crushed. Yes, speak up for the poor and the helpless and see that they get justice. Psalm 82, starting in verse 3. Give justice to the poor and the orphan. Uphold the rights of the oppressed and the destitute. Rescue the poor and the helpless. Psalm 140, verse 12. But I know the Lord will help those they persecute. He will give justice to the poor. Jeremiah 22, verse 3. Thus says the Lord, do justice and righteousness and deliver the one who has been robbed from the power of his oppressor. Also, do not mistreat or do violence to the stranger, the orphan, or the widow. Micah 6, 8, this is an important one. Take note of this. The Lord has shown you what is good. He has told you what he requires of you. You must act with justice. You must love to show mercy, and you must be humble as you live in the sight of your God. Psalm 99, 4, the strength of the king loves justice. You have established equity. You have executed justice and righteousness in Jacob. Job 29, this is his final defense to God. Pay attention to what he says. Because I delivered the poor who cried for help and the orphan who had no helper. The blessing of the one ready to perish came upon me and I made the widow's heart sing for joy. I put on righteousness and it clothed me. My justice was like a robe and a turban. I was eyes to the blind and feet to the lame. 
I was a father to the needy, and I investigated the case which I did not know. I broke the jaws of the wicked and snatched the prey from his teeth. Ezekiel 18, starting in verse 5. But if a man is righteous and practices justice and righteousness, verse 7, he does not oppress anyone, but restores to the debtor his pledge. He does not commit robbery, but gives his bread to the hungry and covers the naked with clothing. Zechariah 7, starting in verse 9. Thus has the Lord of hosts said, dispense true justice and practice kindness and compassion each to his brother. And do not oppress the widow or the orphan, the stranger or the poor, and do not devise evil in your hearts against one another. Let's pause there for a second. Yes, there's still more to come, but let's pause there for a second because something important just happened here. This last verse shows us something we need to pay attention to, and that is what scholars call the quartet of the vulnerables. Maybe you should write that down and study that a little bit. In other words, this is the group of people who are particularly marginalized at this point in history. So, so this is who he calls out, the widow, the orphan, the immigrant, and the poor. These were the people, again, who had fallen through the cracks in their society. This is the, the structure that was in place and the people that were punished as a result of that. Now, here's, here's what I would have you ponder. Who might be the quartet of the vulnerables in our society today? Who might be particularly marginalized because of our structures? Who might be particularly disadvantaged because of our system? And how might we as the church step in on their behalf to achieve true justice? Food for thought to think about throughout this next week, okay? Let's continue. Isaiah 30, verse 18. We see a bit of a shift here to pay attention to says, therefore, the Lord longs to be gracious to you, and therefore he waits on high to have compassion on you. For the Lord is a God of justice. How blessed are all those who long for him. Psalm 89, 14, righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Mercy and truth go before you. Psalm 33, 5, he loves righteousness and justice. The mercy of the Lord fills the earth. Psalm 146, starting in verse 7, speaking of God, says, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry, the Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord raises up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord protects the strangers. He supports the fatherless and the widow, but he thwarts the way of the wicked. Okay, now let's stop there. We got a few more to get into, but, but I wanna really lean into this because there was an important shift there that I wanna make sure we caught. And that is that what has just been shown to us through these last several scriptures is that the very character of God, that is to say his heart, who he is, what he's about, what he embodies is justice and righteousness, which means primarily speaking, we are talking about a God of healing, a God of restoration, a God of freedom, mercy, love, equality. This is who he is. If you've ever wondered what the character of God is, justice and righteousness are the foundation of his throne. This is what we just learned. In fact, think about how God first revealed himself to his people. 
Think about it. We obviously see some amazing things happening throughout the book of Genesis. It's awesome to read about. But, but the wilderness story is where God is truly revealed to the masses, right? He, he literally shows himself to the people. He lays out all of his laws. He dwells with them in the tabernacle. And yet what's the beginning of all of that? The Exodus, in other words, he advocates for the vulnerable. He frees the oppressed. He restores the disadvantaged. And in fact, this is how the ancient Israelites would have fundamentally understood true justice. It's what God did for us in delivering us from Egypt. It's what we celebrate every year with Passover. He delivers, he restores. He's a God that sets things right. This is who he is. But, but then something amazing happens, which is often part of my favorite part of scripture. As we read from beginning to end, we, we see something amazing happen. And that is, we, we read through the Old Testament, the book of Psalms, and all of these stories about all of these different aspects of who God is, right? We, we see him as he frees his people. We see him as he exhibits patience. We see him reaching out with arms of loving kindness. Just these amazing things that we see about God. But then we get to turn the page to the New Testament and watch and see as every one of these things is embodied in the person of Jesus. This is one of the most amazing things you will find in scripture as you read through it. In fact, go back in your mind and think about all of those Old Testament scriptures we just rattled off and think about how they specifically apply to Jesus. Think about it. It talks about helping the oppressed speaking up for those who can't speak for themselves, rescuing the helpless, setting the prisoners free, opening the eyes of the blind, raising up those who are lame, giving food to the hungry, being merciful and compassionate. Jesus literally comes and he embodies this idea of justice and righteousness. And in particular, what Jesus shows us, and this is so very important for us to understand, what he shows us is that justice is not just a physical thing, but it is very much a spiritual thing as well. This is something that Jesus was very, very serious about. Just go read through the gospels. His focus is so laser tight on the people who are being marginalized spiritually in that culture. Think about it. Think how much of his time and energy goes towards those people. In fact, isn't that why he got so in trouble from all the religious elite? Jesus, why are you hanging out with the tax collectors, man? What are you doing? Why, why are you hanging out with all the sinners? What, what are you up to? It's because he's a God of justice and that is who he came for. He came to pull them out and show them that freedom was possible, that, that righteousness was possible. This is what Jesus did. Now, now, when we say that, what kind of righteousness are we talking about? Let's remind ourselves, what kind of right relationship are we speaking about? Right relationship with God. This is what Jesus came to do. He, he came to bring rightness or straightness between us and God. And so let's go back to scripture to, to make sure that we're accurate with that statement, okay? Let's go to 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. It says, for Christ also died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. 1 Peter 2, 24, one of the most amazing scriptures in my opinion. And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness for by his wounds, you were healed. 
See, here's the truth of the matter. And I'm gonna slow down for a minute, okay? Here's the truth of the matter. The ultimate display of justice, the ultimate path to righteousness is summed up in the cross of Jesus Christ. That's the truth. Think about it. The the cross encapsulates this idea of justice as much as anything I can think about. It, It really is the pinnacle of everything that we're talking about, right? It starts with retribution, There's a punishment, right? There's a serious charge that must be paid for. The wages of sin is death. That's what's going on. And yet, what does Jesus do? He humbles himself. He steps in on our behalf, and he displays mercy. He displays love. He displays selflessness in ways that we can't even begin to comprehend. And in the end, what does he give us? Restoration, freedom, deliverance. In fact, listen, listen to this, listen closely. Jesus creates a structure that leads not to condemnation, not to punishment. He creates a structure that leads to freedom and flourishing. That's who Jesus is and that's what he has done for us. I wanna read for you one more scripture because this is mind blowing when you think about it. First John chapter one, verse nine says this. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He's just to forgive. What that means is it's only right and fair for God to forgive us because of the cross of Jesus Christ. That's the best news you're gonna hear today. I promise you that. That's the power of the cross. That is what Jesus has come to do. His justice and righteousness has made a way for us to be in right standing with God. So here's what I wanna say. Maybe maybe this is all very new to you. This whole Bible thing, this whole God thing, it's all very new to you. You're kind of building some foundations of what this is about. Or or maybe you grew up in an atmosphere and an environment where, where God was treated with a heavy fist. And in fact, you thought that he was just to condemn you. And he was just to punish you. Here's what I want to encourage you. His grace is sufficient. The cross has accomplished everything that you could dream it up to accomplish. And all you have to do is put your faith in Jesus Christ, in Jesus Messiah. That's all you have to do. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. Believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. Now, now listen, I'm not saying that, that these words hold any magical thing within them, but the commitment does. Yes. The commitment yes. does. Right. I'm committed to putting my faith in Christ. Come what may, I'm putting my faith in him. I believe that the cross is sufficient. I believe that he rose from the dead and through him, I can have life abundantly. I believe that and I'm all in on that. That can and that will change your life. So I don't encourage you today, if you've never done that, if you've been contemplating, if you've been doubting, if you've been struggling through this, renew your faith in him today. Don't don't leave without doing that today. We'll eat all the food. We'll watch a great football game. We'll do all that fun stuff right here, right now. Make that commitment that will change your life forever. This is the just God that we serve. Amen? Amen? Please stand with me.
This is um, a word in this series that I have been eager to jump into. And I'll be honest, the reason is, is that um, at least up to this point in the series, this is the biggest shift in my perspective that I've had. I, I have very much always understood justice and righteousness through the lens of retribution. In fact, I thought that's what that was. I just thought that's what justice was. And I'm telling you something amazing has happened. And that is, as I've been reading through scripture and as all of these times that justice and righteousness comes up, it has completely changed the way that I read scripture and the way that I view God, completely changed. It has enlightened me in a new and a beautiful way. And, and I'm seeing it all over the place, all over the place. I just randomly pulled up Matthew 6 the other day and it blew my mind. It's all about practicing righteousness and the way that that comes to fruition blew my mind. So I would encourage you to do the same. As you read through scripture and as these words pop up, just stop and think, what type of restoration might be happening here? What, what might God be trying to make right for his people who are oppressed? And I promise you, it'll change your perspective. But here's the thing. We, we talked about Jesus and the cross and, and that's ultimately our landing place today. But I wanna go back to something and that is we cannot forget, we cannot forget that we call ourselves Christ followers. We call ourselves disciples of Christ, which means denying yourself, picking up your cross and following him. What that means is if Jesus is about justice and righteousness, if this is the very throne of the foundation or the foundation of the throne of God, then we must be serious as the church, as the church about living this out. We must be serious about reaching into the cracks of our society and yanking those people back to equality. We must be serious about interceding on behalf of those who are lonely, who are lost, who are outcast. We must be serious about it in every way, physical, spiritual, emotional, mental. We should be the ones stepping in yes. for justice yes. Yes. and righteousness. So today, maybe as some are contemplating this individually and what this means for their lives, and I hope you continue to do that, I just want to pray for us collectively that God would empower us through the spirit to really live out what we've talked about today. When we see injustice, that we wouldn't just pass it right by. I don't care about that. I got other stuff to do. We would step in. We would be the ones that would help restore these people, these situations. It must be who we are. It must be what we do. I want to go back to that quote, see if I can find it quickly in my notes. It says, the wicked are those who are willing to disadvantage the community to advantage themselves. The righteous are those who are willing to disadvantage themselves to advantage their communities. Yeah. I'm praying, I'm pleading that we would be the latter half of that. That we would be willing to be selfless enough to put ourselves aside, even, even our opinions aside, to say, I'm gonna help. I'm gonna step in. I'm gonna make sure my community is rising above and everybody within it. So can we just collectively just close our eyes and just pray that, that God would lead us and guide us and empower us in this endeavor every single day that we'd be serious about it. Heavenly Father, we come before you right now as your people, humbled in your presence, humbled before a God 
who is full of justice and righteousness, who is full of love and mercy and kindness. And I just pray that you would fill us overflowing with the spirit in a way that justice and righteousness just comes flowing out of us in everything we say, in everything we do, in what our eyes see and what our ears hear. God, that we would step in and be restoration people for a, for a community, for a society yeah. that desperately yeah. needs it, yeah. that desperately needs it. There are people right now, right now, who don't see a way out, who have fallen through the cracks and nobody sees them. God, send us to those people. God, send us into the hard places to restore, to renew, to make things right. God, we beg of you. You would lead and guide us in this way. Empower us in this way. I know it's so easy for us in our human nature to just think about ourselves and worry about ourselves and, and just be so focused on that. Help us to get outside of that. Help us to be a people who are merciful just as our Father is merciful. Help us, God, to be that way, to see the needs of the people and to step in and be serious about making a change. God, we put our trust in you. Thank you, Jesus, for what you've done for us. Thank you for the the justice and righteousness that you displayed so that we could be in right standing with you, Father. Thank you, Jesus, for what you've done. May we never forget it. May we always remember it every day of our lives. We are your people. We follow after you. So from this day forward, we will be a people of justice and righteousness, a people of love and mercy and restoration through the power of the Spirit. In the name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. Amen.